Uh, great to be with you again. Uh, Ray, thank you for, uh, for opening us and just pointing our, our thoughts and our minds to the Word of God, our music group again. Thanks to you and Kev uh, support at the back. It's great to be able to come and now look tonight what is going to be a very challenging passage. See, we were talking uh, this afternoon, uh, Kevin and Cass, that, uh, about what it's like to preach in the evening when the, the, the roast dinner is resting heavy and it's been, a, it's been a day of relaxation, possibly. And we were talking about if you went to a conference or a seminar, it's be the per- this, this moment now is I am the, the person that comes to speak after lunch when everybody is nice and chilled out and relaxed and you know, we've, we've let our good behavior go. And now we're going to come and you see the real person. And on the subject of lunch, uh, a great thanks to Kevin and Kathy and everybody else who's uh, looked after us today. But as I said, a difficult passage, yet one that, uh, God willing, we will explore and enjoy uh, together. So we've got this complex book in the book of Hebrews. Uh, it's a book that's layered and, uh, and needs careful unpacking. And the passage that we're going to consider tonight um, comes with a stark warning. A warning from the annals of Israelite history, uh, and a warning of something that can uh, very easily ruin our walk with God, this business of having a hard heart. So I want you to find in your Bibles, please, uh, Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to read uh, from verse 7 to 19. So Hebrews chapter 3, and then verse 7. Uh, to verse 19. And it reads like this. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your father put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you uh, an, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then it goes on to say this, For we have come to share in Christ... If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were were of those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Let's just pray together for a moment. Lord, we have a challenging passage before us this evening. But I ask and pray your leading and guiding, Father, keep us awake, alert and afresh to hear your word. And Father, we thank you and praise you for it. As Help us as we unpack it and to challenge our consciences and our hearts before you this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start then with this business of a hardened heart. I want to ask the question, just what is a hardened heart? And more importantly for us, why is it so dangerous? What is a hard heart? And more importantly for us, perhaps, why is it so dangerous? Well, I I suggest to you this. A hardened heart is when our, our... Our ability to perceive 
And to understand what God is saying to us is dulled down by sin. That we've become so hardened and so uh, almost blasé or complacent in our Christian walk at times that we ignore what God is saying. And so here we have this idea, this, uh, this concept of a hard heart. You see, the heart is the emotional part of us, the feeling part of us. And if we have a hardened, hardened heart, then there is no emotion or feeling. But more importantly then, if you apply that to a Christian context that we are this evening, a Christian's hard heart has the potential to dole down the ability to understand or perceive what God is saying to us. And so therefore, we can even twist our understanding of how he wants us to live. And we could even walk away from God because we think he's not speaking to us. That's the danger of a hard heart. So I said, you know, this is a, a, a difficult subject. It's something to, for us as believers in God to really get hold of and as a warning against. This passage in Hebrews gives us this warning from the annals of Israelite history. It's a lesson that we need to learn from. Uh, as we've seen this people of Israel walk with their God and walk away from their God in this ever-fluctuating story of the Israelite history. And we need to do this in order so that history, for once, doesn't repeat itself. And it's really imperative that we fight against uh, this business of a hard heart as we go from this place into the week ahead. You see, it's all right coming here and being warned against a hard heart. It's a completely different kettle of fish when you walk out that door, you go to bed and you wake up on Monday morning and you wake up to whatever your week may bring, good or bad. And yet we realize that we must keep our heart soft when it comes to God. So firstly, in verse 7, we're told that God speaks to us. We're told that God speaks to us. The simple fact is this, that we have a speaking God. We're not worshipping an idol. We're not worshipping a, a God who sleeps or slumbers. We're talking to a God who's not only interested in us and wants a relationship with us, but a God who speaks to us. Now, I can look out on the people this evening and suggest to you that is not a new concept to you. I'm pretty sure many people have said that from this platform and from the platforms of your own churches for probably hundreds of thousands of years. This is not a new concept, this idea of God speaking. But God speaks to us. And he speaks to us today, the passage says. The tenses, if you look at the, the, the tenses of the word and the sentence and its construction, means that it's continuing. It's an ongoing thing. This is not just God speaks once and then we forget all about it. That this is God speaking time and time again. But it also means this, no matter what generation of Christians read this passage in Hebrews, we find that God speaks to them in the same way that God speaks to us. What we must strive to do is listen. We must be ready to listen to the voice of God. How God speaks has already been made clear when you looked with John Allen at Hebrews, 1, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, and he gave you that very whistle-stop tour of, in John Allen's typical way, of I'll go at a million miles an hour and the rest of you might have to try and catch up with me. But you had it very clear that in the past he spoke to the prophets, and in the last days he speaks to us through his Son. That's what Hebrews 1.1 says. A book that all about the speaking voice of God, and yet we start with a very simple instruction, that he speaks to us through his Son. So we want to hear what God is saying, then Jesus better have a place in your heart. It's as clear as that. If you want to hear God speak, you better have a place for Jesus 
in your heart and let him lead you and guide you as God speaks. The the word today appears at least three or four times, if not more, in chapters 3 and 4. That's obviously no accident. God speaks through his Holy Spirit today. It's a very real and ongoing thing. You see, not in the times of past, not in a time to come, not in the future, but now, but today. That ought to give us comfort, shouldn't it? There's people in a world where the name of God is taken in vain. There's people that live in a world where religion has has become irrelevant, where science has taken over. In a world where we are persecuted for our faith, and that persecution is only going to get more and more prevalent. That should give us comfort, shouldn't it? The fact that God, our God, the creator of heavens and earth, speaks to us and speaks in our hearts. You see, but how does God speak? Or another question of this, how can I know that God is speaking to me? You know, we sit there and we all have thoughts. Now, I know our minds are geared up differently. I'm a man. That's obvious from looking at me. That means I can think of one thing at one time and one thing only. All right? Or, and this may come as a surprise to, to women, just because I've learned this from being married, there are times when we can be thinking of nothing at all. We can just be sat staring aimlessly at a telly or whatever we're doing. And we're not thinking about anything. Whereas women are different, so I'm led to believe. You can be thinking about what's going to happen now, what you've got to do later, tomorrow, whilst leading a friend through crisis on the phone and planning, do you see? Yet God speaks to us. And God speaks to us in a way that we can understand. So how do we understand? How do we hear God speaking? How can we be actually sure that it's God and not just our own thoughts or even worse, Satan trying to trick us and tempt us. Well, I would suggest you start with God's word. Because you will find that when people make steps for God or people do things for God, that they get something from the word of God for it. Whether it's a character, whether it's a story, whether it's a verse, whether it's a sermon. It's the, 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 the use is irrelevant. It's the fact that you get it from God's word. Speak to other older, wiser Christians with more Christian life experience. If you think God is saying, hey, can we just talk about this? I think God is saying to me, but I'm not 100% sure. There's so many ways. But the importance of it is, is that we really understand that God is speaking to us. You see, God is speaking to us and it's very personal. And we want to be sure it is God. We need to be sure it is God. Sometimes he speaks through situations. Um, I'm going to use. I'm not going to go on about Moldova tonight. I promise. I've done enough of that today. But we went. How do I? How did I know that it was right for me to go there, to go to Moldova? Well, the obvious things first. The invitation came. And Claire and I said, "Right, Lord, if you want me to go, just make everything fall into place. Put the money up. Bring the invitations. Bring the the support, prayer for support, everything. And we did it. We just said, "Look, God, just." If I'm meant to go, make it so. And slowly but surely, things happened and they fell into place. And God put the right people and I read into people and there was gifts given and all sorts of bits and pieces. That just And you know within your heart it's right. And that's how I knew. And that's just my experience over me going abroad for 10 days. Never mind making the decision that could affect the rest of my life. It's finding out that what God is saying to you is from God. By going back to his word, by praying over these things, 
by speaking to wiser and older believers that know, and I don't just mean age, I mean people that have been Christians for a length of time, that really have got life experience of dealing with God and hearing him speak. So what would we miss from God if our hearts are hard? If we've got all this potential for God to speak to us, there it is, all wrapped up in this one slightly skewiff human package. What potential have we got to miss from God if our hearts are hard? Remember I said if your heart is hard, you lose the ability to perceive and to understand. What can we miss from God? He would speak just like he does, and we have no perception, no understanding. And the ultimate danger, of course, is that we believe that God isn't speaking to us, that God isn't interested in us, or God is ignoring us. And ultimately, we could walk away from God completely. Notice I was very careful over my words. God will never walk away from us, but we will walk away from God. All because our hearts are hard. Ultimately, our hardened heart is caused by sin. So the writer then says, as in a day of rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, we're reminded of the devastating mistakes that the Israelites made and what caused their wandering in the desert. The fact that the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years ultimately revealed the true condition of their heart. So the question I want to ask you is this. Are we guilty of wandering in our relationship with God? I've listened to Pete Glasgow's messages, and he quite often says he asks a lot of rhetorical questions. This is one of my rhetorical questions. I really want you to get this to grips. Are we guilty? Be honest with yourselves. Are we guilty of wandering in our relationship with with God are we guilty of just going through the motions do we offer genuine praise to God or are our words just slick and religious phrases which bear no reflection of our heart's love and obedience I told you this is a hard passage and my questions are not going to get any easier but the poignance is there do we just offer praise to God Or are our words just slick and religious phrases? You see, the writer continues to draw on the story of the Israelites. The Israelites enslaved to Egypt, and the comparison, us enslaved to sin in this world. The people redeemed by the blood of the Passover lamb, and us redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. You see, yet the sad story continues in verses 9, 10, and 11. The people whose forefathers put God to the test And he brought them through the Red Sea. Yet I would argue that because of their hard hearts, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Yet the grace of God is such as this, that he fed them. He guided them. One thing I love that the Old Testament says, their shoes never wore out. So much is the love of God and the grace of God on them that he looks after the practical needs. You see, God says he was provoked and so his provocation leads to action. An action in this case was his judgment on the people. They were not allowed to enter the promised land. The land that he promised them, that land flown with milk and honey, that land that was the ultimate the land that was the ultimate goal for the Hebrews. You see, we've all been susceptible to that pull at some point, that we just want to go back into the world because it's easier. It's easier to fit rather than stand out. It's easier to just go back and not have to stand up for your faith. It's easier just to go back and to not have to say, yes, I'm a Christian. 
It's, not, it's easier to go back than to not have to face pressure from people who call themselves atheists or people that, uh, that mock your religion. It's easier to just shrink away. It's easier to hide your light under a bowl and just tick on by. Yet we know that God wants us to do that. He wants us to make a stand. That he wants us to, uh, to stand out for him. You see, but here we are by the grace of God. Here we are by the grace of God. These people who yet make mistakes, whose hearts get hard from time to time, whose sin still abounds, who still mess up, who still get things wrong. We open our mouth, we say what we need to say, and then we're desperately trying to reach it to grab it and get it back. And yet here we are by the grace of God. You see, there's an argument as to who this, the, 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 uh, the receivers of this letter were. Uh, some people, I would suggest that it's, it was Jewish Christians. And so the lesson wouldn't have been lost on them. They would have known the history. They would have known what was going on in the background. So the lesson for them is clear. And it should be clear for us. Keep your heart soft when it comes to God. And we will hear our master's voice speaking loud and clear. And trust what he says. Keep your heart soft when it comes to God. Listen out for the master's voice and you will hear his voice speaking loud and clear and trust what he says. So as we come to verses 12 to 19, I want to leave you with four very brief statements that all contain reactions to the word of God. This word of God, this everlasting word that speaks, that lives, these oracles of God, of just how do they affect us and how do they uh, how do we react to them? How should we react to them on a daily basis? Yet, you see, he warns against complacency. I'm just paraphrasing briefly. Let none of us suffer with evil or unbelieving hearts, leading you to walk away from the living God. But exhort one another that none of us may have hard hearts. Keep each other in check and encourage one another that we may all be Christians who listen to the voice of God and act on his word. And so that means this, first of all, if you're listening, you must be able to hear the word of God. That if you're listening, you must be able to hear the word of God. There's a difference between listening and hearing. I'm coming back to men. We're great at listening at times, but we're not necessarily the best at hearing. Sometimes you're having a conversation and your mind is wandering. This is one of the rare occasions that I'm not thinking about nothing, but I'm thinking about something else. And so I just keep answering yes, and hopefully that 60% of those yeses are finding their right answer. And it's, it, in the next statement, it's all become very clear that that yes was nowhere near where it needed it to be. There is a difference between hearing and listening. And this is exactly what we need to be doing. We need to be, make sure we are listening to what God has to say through his word. It's a word that changed lives. It's the word that has the power to change lives. It is, after all, one of the things that changed our lives. And so here we have this importance of hearing the word of God. You see, those of us in a public role, whether that be preaching from the platform, whether it be leading a group, whether it be working with kids, it's irrelevant what it is. Those of us in a public role can all be guilty at times of preparing sermons for other people. We can be great at preparing messages and thinking, oh yeah, I can really apply that to that person's life or, or that's really challenged me in this bit. When was the last time we actually didn't prepare anything for anybody else and just sat down and read the word of God? Never mind worrying about who 
this person is going to be affected by or what word you're going to have for this situation. I'm simply talking about sitting down and actually reading the word of God for ourselves. Taking the time out to just read the Bible. See, how can we hear what God has to say if we don't read? Or in some cases, listen to the way in which he speaks. The onus is on us uh, to spend time reading God's word. And in doing so, we will hear him speak. Think back to how many testimonies have you heard where that, that person will come to a point when they realize that God was saying. Or you think back to some missionary or some person you know that has done something great for God and they came to a point where they said, and I really heard God speak because I was reading, because I was listening. You see, God will speak to you. Have confidence to know that God will speak to you. And he'll speak to you in your hearts. And yes, it might be hard and it might be difficult and it might take time to put together what he's saying. But God will speak and have confidence in that. You see, the onus is us to spend time reading God's word. And in doing so, we will hear him. And we will hear him speak so clearly at times, we will have no choice but to recognize that it is the voice of God. You see, once we have heard then the word of God, there must be a case where we have to believe it. We have to believe the word of God. It's all right hearing, but hearing needs action. And if we are reading when, the, when God's word, then we must take him at his word and believe what he says. This means trusting what he says. I spoke with a couple of people after the service this morning. And we were talking about being tested. And, what, and how God was, was sometimes, we face situations in our life where we feel tested. But hold on to the promise that God will never test you beyond what you can bear. You have to believe what he says. It's imperative. There's no point otherwise. We have to take the word of God as fact and truth and trust and believe what he says. It's fundamental for everything we do. When we believe in God and we trust him. We trust him to do what he says he's going to do. You see, we're all happy as well. This is quite interesting. We're all happy to take times where we can take the promises of god i will bless you i will make you a great nation and so on and so forth yet there are times when we're not happy to listen to the judgment of god because we only take the best bits we have to take all of it we have to believe the word of god and believe what he says you see the passage warns the person with the unbelieving heart will fall away from god now, I don't believe for one minute that you can lose your salvation. I don't. I think Jesus' death on the cross and the whole plan of salvation is far too great and far too complex for the likes of us with our uh, silly ideas and our wanton some desire to do, ignore what God says for us to lose our salvation. But I, can, I do believe that we can wander away from God. We can wander from him and we can ignore what he's saying. And that's what I believe the passage is talking about. Refuse to accept the word of God and our hearts will eventually go hard. And if we refuse to accept the word of God, what hope do we have of knowing the God who wrote it? If you refuse to believe something, you refuse to believe the Bible, you refuse to, to, to take on board what it says is truth, what hope do we have of knowing the God who wrote it? We have to believe in the word of God. If we hear the word of God and we believe the word of God, then surely it makes sense we must obey the word of God. You see, in obeying the word of God, the Israelites would have an 11-day journey to their promised land. 
11 days. That's how long it would have taken them, roughly. Instead, they spent 40 years going around and around and around and around and around because they disobeyed the word of God. Do you or I wonder because we don't obey? I told you my questions weren't going to get any easier. Do you or I wonder because we don't obey what God says? Obey the word of God. That's easy, isn't it? That is. That is the easiest thing to do in the world. All right, let's go commandment number one. You shall have no other gods but me. There we go. We've all failed. But encourage each other. Build each other up. Strengthen each other. But ultimately, there is a personal responsibility to hear the word of God, to believe it, but to obey what God is saying. That when you find out, yes, Lord, I hear you speaking, obey what he's saying. Sometimes you will get there in a roundabout way. Jonah got there in the most about roundabout way possible. I mean, I very much doubt any of us are going to fall into the harbour and be eaten by fish. But there is, my point is there. Believe and trust and obey in what the word of God says. You see, look at the state the people got into when they didn't obey the word of God. They heard it, Moses told them, and they heard it from God. And they must have believed it at one point. They crossed the Red Sea, for goodness sake. They must have. You know, you're not going to walk to one side of Torquay. You're not going to go to the pier at Torquay and God's going to say, right, walk across there. And you're going to go, nah. This is an amazing event. Come on. This is, I know it's the end of a long day, but you could at least give me some form of, thank you. There we are. You know, this is an amazing event. The people must have believed the word of God. Moses said, right, we're going to walk down to this beach and I'm going to raise my staff and we're going to all walk across. And you can imagine the people going, is he all right? Is he been? Or is he? No, we're going? All right, okay, we're going. So there had to have been a point when the people believed the word of God. But now they were across. Now they're ready to enter. And all of a sudden it all comes falling down. It all comes falling apart. All they had to do was obey. And they didn't. And the passage talks of their failings, their rebellion in verse 16, their sin in verse 17, their disobedience in verse 18, and in these instructions, their unbelief in verse 19. These are four major events. Look at the state this world has got itself into by not obeying the word of God. I'm going to leave that there. I'm not going to launch off into all the social problems. But look at the state the world has got itself into by not obeying the word of God. Is it imperative for us that we obey the word of God, that we hear it and we believe it. We are called to be many things, hearers and doers, salt and light, people who strive to be more like Christ, to take up our cross and follow him. All these things are hard and they take effort, an effort that's worth the reward. Yet these things are all made that slightly little bit easier if we obey the word of God. We're called to perhaps do the hardest thing of all, and that is to be godly. To be godly in our everyday lives. I guess most of you would know that this year is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, of when Luther had his moment of brilliance and nailed that, his thesis to the door of the church in Germany. But a lesser known man in the part of the story of the Reformation was a man named Thomas Beacon. Uh, his dates are up on the screen. But uh, he was a man who had his part to play in the story of the Reformation. And he wrote various pamphlets and articles on Christian living. And he said this, the word of God is sufficient for all Christians and it is the catalyst to godliness. You want to get to grips with being godly, 
and start obeying the word that, that godliness is built around. The message of God. So if you are now a people who hear God's word, we believe God's word, we obey God's word, then these challenges are about to get harder because now then we must be a people that share the word of God. It's no good having the greatest message the world has ever known and keeping it secret. It's no great, it's no, there's no point, no benefit to giving, for God giving this amazing message of salvation and we keep it hidden underneath the pillow. There's just no point. We need to be a people that share the word of God. But exhort, and I'm not just talking about sharing it with non-believers or people that you're trying to, to show God's love to. I'm talking about it with each other. Sharing it amongst us. Talking about it. Meditating on it. It's great with all the growth groups and the different Bible studies that are going on. It's great to be able to share and encourage one and each other with God's word. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The warning is there. To exhort, to strongly encourage, to urge somebody to do something. It makes no different what word you use. The message is clear. If we want people, or we want to be a people whose hearts are soft when it comes to God, then let us encourage and strengthen one another and build one another up. As a church, we're all individuals. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way. Apart from those of you who are a family, and maybe a few exceptions, if we were not Christians, it is very probably that we wouldn't have anything to do with one another. Has that thought ever crossed your mind? Apart from like, you know, the ones that are related and the few friends and whatever have been friends, I would suggest that none of us would have anything to do with one another. We all do different jobs or did different jobs. Some of us are retired, some of us got kids, the young kids, big kids, tall kids, whatever. The likelihood is this, we would probably have nothing to do with one another. And yet it is Christ that unites us. It is Christ that brings us together. Here we are, no longer individuals, but members of the body of Christ. With all its benefits, its strength, its love, its care, its concerns, we are all children of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And by genuinely looking out for each other, and that's just not because you fancy a bit of juicy gossip, but to have a genuine care for people within the church. A responsibility that falls on everybody, not just the leadership or the pastoral care team or whatever you want to call them. If we can get that balance right, then surely it lessens the possibility of the hardening of hearts. If we share each other's burdens, we share each other's responsibilities. You see, the writer ultimately chalks this hardening of hearts up to the deceitfulness of sin. Sin, that thing that we do when our heart is not satisfied with God. The thing that infects all of us, yet gives God, yet give God thanks that is a thing that is ultimately defeated. You see, however, the way to avoid a hardened heart, I suggest to you, is those four things. To hear the word of God, to believe the word of God, to obey the word of God, and to share the word of God. Living in the fellowship of God's people. Living together, close fellowship with God himself, and reliance and dependency on him. I would suggest to you that we need to be a people that support each other, that encourage and build each other up. Yet we must acknowledge self-responsibility. We must acknowledge that if we are people who are genuinely serious about being aware of the dangers of a hardened heart, then to avoid it, we need to recognize that God's grace 
is sufficient for all our needs. And that he has demonstrated his love towards us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The all-sufficient death and resurrection of Christ has made the possibility of this restored relationship with God an amazing feat of achievement on God's path. It's a relationship which means it will have its ups and its downs. Just as it did with the people of Israel. The people that we've talked about in this passage this evening. Who even after all their their failings, generation after generation, eventually saw their promised land. And we're reminded that God is patient, merciful and gracious to us. And even with our failings, even when we get it all wrong, even when there are times that our hearts are so hard that we cannot hear what God is saying, his grace is sufficient for us. And one day too, ourselves, we will see our promised land. It's a difficult passage. It's not one that's been easy to prepare. It's asked a lot of soul-searching questions of myself. And I hope and pray tonight that as we've looked at it together, that it's just made you sit up and take notice. Just what is the dangers of a hardened heart? If you've never thought about your heart being hard before, then examine what the Word of God says. My words are flawed, but this is the Word of God. The perfect, infallible Word that ultimately comes from God himself. We might not know who wrote Hebrews. We might not know who the audience is. But we know this, that there are times when God speaks to us through his word. There are times when God demonstrates exactly what we want to do, that he wants us to do. That he makes it so clear, so crystal clear, that it just we don't understand it. We can't comprehend it, yet we realize that it is a voice of God speaking. And remember, ultimately, it's the grace of God that will keep us. Even when we get things wrong, it's the grace of God that will love us. It's his mercy that will keep us safe. And so, what has been a difficult passage, I hope and I pray that it's made some of you sit up and take notice just of what the dangers are of a hardened heart. Amen.